Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhered Apologetics, wherever you may be, however you may be joining us. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Today I'm here with Dr. Saigar. In case you don't know who he is, um, very brief bio. He's a PhD in biochemistry. He's a tenured professor at NYU Rutgers University of Pittsburgh, go PA, and the division director at the Center for Scientific Review at the National Institute of Health and interim vice president for research at Uniformed Ser Services University of the Health Sciences. Uh, Dr. Sai has also done a bunch of peer-reviewed papers, written a few books, including his most recent book, The Work of His Hands. Um, Dr. Saigar, welcome back. How are you doing? Thanks for having me again. I'm doing yeah, well. I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. We have this new argument um, from biology, something that apparently is brand new. Like this is, we are like breaking the ground here on a new argument almost. So really pumped for that. Um, so before we get into that, I'd be curious, can you just talk a little bit, in case someone doesn't know who you are, just a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. If, if you just hang on one sec, I just forgot to do one thing. Yeah, you're all good. Um, so what? Okay. I forgot to close my door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Could be important. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So... I am a, I'm retired. I, I have a PhD in biochemistry. I was a professor, as you said, uh, but I retired about five years ago and I started devoting my, my life to uh, writing and uh, doing various things related to my church, to my faith, uh, especially with the focus on the connection between science and faith. And uh, you, I think you mentioned a book, so I'll just hold it up. This is a book came out last year, The Works of His Hands, and the subtitle is The Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And the other part of my story, for those who don't know, is that I was raised in a very atheistic family. I was an atheist for the first 40 or so, 45 years of my life, and then very slowly began to reject atheism, became an agnostic, and then eventually uh, through my studies in science, uh, which led me to reject atheism, I eventually was open to the call of, of God, and I became a Christian about 12 years ago, roughly, uh, and was then um, baptized eight years ago. And now I'm devoting pretty much everything I do uh, to uh, this issue of science and faith and the compatibility and I wouldn't say I'm an apologist exactly, but I guess I verge on that a little bit. The reason I, I can't call myself an apologist is I'm still learning theology and there's still a lot I don't know. Uh, but I do, uh, I am a member of a lot of organizations which are composed of scientists who are Christians. That includes the American uh, Scientific Affiliation. I'm the editor-in-chief of God and Nature, which is their magazine, online quarterly magazine. and uh, I also uh, contribute to BioLogos on occasion and some other organizations as well. So there's a, there's a number of people, a, a number of scientists of faith who are trying very hard to counter the atheist arguments that use a kind of scientism to try to bring down Christian faith. And uh, I'm very interested in opposing those arguments. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so before we go into this new argument that you're going to bring up, I'd be curious just because I'm sure all of us who are involved in any sort of interaction with atheists, especially on, online, we run into this idea that science can explain everything. We don't need right. to posit God, things like that. So can you just 
talk about that a little bit and talk about why you are um, a Christian and a theist? Sure. Well, I mean, it's interesting because many of the atheists you mentioned are actually stuck in the 19th century concept of science. They think of science as purely deterministic and very reductive. And what we've learned from science in the last over 100 years is that it's not deterministic at all. And there's things about modern physics and now modern biology that really cast a huge doubt on the whole question that, you know, we can know everything through science. In fact, uh, the, the most famous example is Werner Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, where it's, it's a fact of science that, in fact, is responsible. One of the things that allows us to have computers and cell phones that we cannot know uh, two things about an electron at the same time. We can't know its position and its momentum at the same time. And the more we know about one, the less we know about the other. And that, and, and that is no research that's going to improve that. That's a fact of nature. So nature is actually a lot more complicated than scientists used to think it is. Certainly that's true in biology. <laughs> the more we learn about biology, the more complex and, and weird it is. And that's also true with physics in so many ways. So we now have a lot of arguments from science that are uh, favoring the existence of God. And the atheists are going crazy with that. They deny it left and right, but their denials are really, are really hollow. And actual scientists, whether they're religious or not, know that the universe is far more mysterious than anyone ever thought it would be. And so uh, I think that's a message that should go out to people because there's still a lag. There's still people who think, well, you know, science is facts and makes sense and is rational and religion is not rational and doesn't make, and that's just wrong. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of faith involved in science. We have to believe certain things until they're disproven. And when they are disproven, we have to change everything. So uh, that's good. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean science is wrong, but that's the way the world is. And so, you know, uh, I firmly believe, and this is one of the, the principles of everything I write, is that there's only one truth, which is the truth of God, God's truth. And we're trying to learn it through scientific investigation and through, you know, reading the Bible and then trying to do scholarship and understand what the Bible is saying and how it says it. And those two endeavors are both very difficult. Uh, they're not easy to do. Uh, they take a lot of work. So, uh, you know, that's that's my main, my main point, uh, the point I try to get across. Mm. And I can I, I sum up what's in my book and what I think in, in four words, which are in the book, and a lot of people quote it, it's uh, science is distilled oxology. And what that means is that when you when you do research into the way the world works, it's the purest form of praise to the Almighty Creator that you can come up with, and that's why I, I like that phrase that sort of came to me in a dream or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's really amazing. Uh, one last thing I want to hit on very briefly before we go into this argument, because it's something that you brought up that's really interesting. Is I think that we see, especially from New Atheism, a lot of this idea that. 500 years ago, people didn't understand gravity, so they thought God existed or things like that. And now we're, we're chipping away at the God of the gaps kind of ideas. And there's less and less arguments because there's less and less things that cannot be explained um, naturally. So I'm guessing just kind of with what with your research is that you'd say that narrative is just false. 
Yeah, that, that's that's a complete misunderstanding of, of of religion, and not to mention science. I mean, all the original Christian, all, all the original scientists were Christians, and and they're they're in the, in Europe, and their way of understanding what they were doing was to understand God's laws and God's creation. Uh, there's no conflict between a natural explanation for something and the existence of God. And I don't know anybody who says, oh, well, we don't understand that, so God must have done it. That That's nonsense. God did everything. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, and, and what we want to do is understand how and, and, you know, what the mechanisms are, what the explanations are. But knowing mechanisms, and this was said originally, I think, by uh, Lord Kelvin back in the 19th century, he wrote, explanations don't tell us why or how something happened. They just tell us how it works. So we know how a lot of things work. We know, as I said, we know how you know atoms work. We know how life works a lot, which I'm going to get into. Uh, but that doesn't tell us anything about where it came from. You know, the, we, we know a lot about the universe. We have no idea where it came from, zero. We really don't know where life came from, and we also don't know where we came from, really. I mean, yeah, we can say that we evolved from, you know, primates, which is likely true, I believe. However, that doesn't tell us very much about who we are, right? I mean, we're not, we're obviously not just a naked, smart ape. We're a lot more than that. And where did that come from? So, you know, the there's no conflict between science and religious faith. It's just a question of whether you believe in God or not. And if you do, you can still be a scientist. That's been proven. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to remove you for one second. There we go. Um, there's an issue there. But I I've noticed that a lot of people treat the existence of God as a scientific question when that's not really what it is. It's more no. of a philosophical question. And yeah. I think new atheism kind of try to put it the, the existence of God into a little box. Um, but with that being said, I'd love to just kind of dive in to this argument sure. from biology, what you've been working on. So uh, at the end, we're going to have some questions. So if you're listening live and have some questions for Dr. Sai, be sure to leave them in the live chat and we'll get to some of them. But for now, I'll turn it to you and you can take as much time as you want to kind of frame this argument you've been working on. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's see. I've, I've been thinking about this for some time and it's it's not in my book. Uh, I have written things and published some articles uh, that are kind of sort of talk about a little bit, but not going into detail. And now I'm starting to think that I may have an, an interesting uh, path to go into uh, more depth about this issue. And what the issue is, it, it's related to the origin of life, but not directly. Uh, well, maybe it is. Uh, now, I, I should also say, and I told Zach earlier, this is the first time I've ever talked about this. I do have an article that mentions a little bit of the things that I'm going to say today that's going to be published probably next month in the BioLogos uh, website. Uh, but this is the first time I'm really talking about it. So if I get, a, if I, you know, stumble a little bit please forgive me because we want perfection we only allow perfection uh, that then you got the wrong guy <laughs> perfection ain't me <laughs> so uh okay so let let's start with a i'll start with an analogy okay let's say 
a friend of yours just bought a new house and, and he got married and he's furnished it and he's lived there a few years and he's, you know, it, he really, you've not, you've never gone to see him yet, but you decide you're going to go visit. Maybe this is after the pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> and you go to his house and you walk in and you love it. I mean, it's fantastic. There's like plenty of rooms upstairs, downstairs, nice basement. He shows you everything because he's very proud of it. He shows you the, the plumbing, he shows you the water heater, the furnace, the air conditioning unit. He shows you his bookcases, and we both have bookcases behind us, right? So he shows you all his books. There are paintings on the wall. He shows you the kitchen, which has all kinds of fancy cabinets and dishes. It's just a beautiful place, great backyard, everything's great. And you say to him, you know, I really love your house. I would like to have a house just like this, exactly like this, everything, every book, every painting on the wall, every dish, everything you have, I want a copy of it. I want exactly this house. Mm. And he says, well, he looks at you like you're nuts because that's kind of weird. But then he says, well, you know, okay, here are the plans. You've seen everything. Build a house just like it. And you could do that. You could build a house just like it. You could get all the utilities going. You could get the electricity exactly the same, you know, everything the same. And then you could go find the same books, right? You could buy all the books. It might take a little time. You might have to, maybe the, he has some original paintings. That may be tough. You have to get a copy of the paintings. You got to get the same dishes, everything identical, right? But you could do it, but it would take you a lot of time. It would be very expensive and it would be very difficult. With me so far? Yeah, yeah following you so just to sum up for everyone who's listening basically you're talking about there being two identical houses almost and it's like not just the houses but everything inside the houses okay that's yeah. the important part everything mm -hmm. in that all the furniture is the same mm -hmm. everything is the same I'm, I'm looking around uh, okay what i have so the desk is the same the photocopier is the same uh, everything all the clothes mm -hmm. are the same okay mm -hmm. now this is getting silly but i'm trying to make a point mm -hmm. That's very hard to do, but you could do it, right? Now, suppose mm -hmm. you said to your friend, <clears throat> I want exactly your house, but I, I don't want to go to the problem of making it, you know, building a new house just like yours. Why, does, why don't your house, why don't you get your house to replicate itself? Mm. That your house should somehow make a copy of itself, everything mm. in it. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Why am I saying all this? Okay. So, you know, it seems kind of silly because a house has, you know, thousands of objects in it, right? All kind of, I said books, paintings, dishes, clothes, mm -hmm. 10,000, I don't know how many objects, thousands. Every single living cell on this planet Every cell in your body, every cell, every bacteria, every cell in every plant and every animal replicates itself, makes a copy of itself with all its contents several times a day. Mm. You know, hundreds of billions, I don't know how many cells are doing this all the time. And, okay, is that hard? Well, you know how many... What does a cell contain? It contains a lot of chemicals. We know that, right? It has water, it has salts, 
It has proteins, fats, lipids, you know, all the chemicals that are part of a cell. You know how many protein molecules are in a single cell? 10 billion. Jeez. 10 billion. One cell. One bacteria. Mm. One human cell. Mm. Bacteria probably have a little less, but not much less. And a bacterium every 20 minutes <laughs> makes a replicate of itself and splits into two identical cells with everything inside them being identical. Now that's amazing. And we take it for granted. When we talk about evolution, for example, we talk about you know variation and natural selection and the, the one that's most fit lives better. But everybody forgets to say there's something else that has to go on. Before you can have evolution, before you can have life of any kind, you have to have a way for every cell to replicate itself. And it has to replicate itself very, very well. So what is the error rate when a cell replicates itself? How, how much, how many mistakes does it make? And the answer is 0.00001%. That's the error. Mm. It's astonishing. And there is nothing else in the universe outside of life that does this. Nothing else replicates itself. Storms don't replicate themselves. Crystals don't replicate themselves. Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing. There are no chemicals that replicate themselves in the natural world. Now, there are chemicals in living cells that replicate themselves, but they have help. But that's another story. But only in life. Is there any such thing as self-replication? Now, so, so someone, I, I, I wrote this in a tweet a while back, and somebody said, well, there are self-replicating Lego robots, which I had not heard of. But they're not really self-replicating, because if it was self-replicating, you'd have to have a robot that would make a robot that would make that could make robots. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's some kind of a program that allows, so the, the robot would have to make the program and make whatever chip is driving the right yeah and a lego robot doesn't do that so we're talking about no other no outside influence here okay a living cell could be a amoeba bacterium a pine tree anything makes copies of itself very 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 close copies mm. and we take it for granted but we should not because the question then comes up how does that work? How does that happen? How are we able to? How does a cell? Let's just start with a single cell because that's the easiest, which has you know ten billion proteins and roughly the same number of sugars and and you know other components, huge DNA polymer, all kinds of stuff inside, organelles, mitochondria, all kinds of you know membranes, all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go into a lot of technical detail. But. Mm -hmm. I can if there are questions. But how does that happen? I mean, if you have two cells that split off and they're identical, how did they get up to be identical? I mean, you could say, well, maybe just half the stuff went into one and half went into the other. And that would work for a while. But after a while, you know, you don't get exactly the same. It, it, that's a random assortment. Okay. And so at some point, that's going to fall apart. And, and the cell has to keep making new stuff and it has to make the right stuff. 
So how does all that happen? How do you get replication? Because proteins can't replicate themselves. Sugars can't replicate themselves. The membrane can't replicate. Nothing can replicate. There's only one thing that gets replicated, and that's the DNA central informational molecule. That gets replicated very, very close to perfect. How does that happen? Well, that's a process. And what the DNA, and why, now, okay, so now you have to say, okay, so the DNA replicates itself. There's some knowledge of how that works. We, in fact, we know very well how that works. But now the question is, so, okay, you have DNA that's identical in the two cells, but what about all the other stuff? The other stuff is not made by DNA. The other stuff is made by proteins, by enzymes, which catalyze reactions. So you've got to have the same enzymes in the two cells, the same proteins. And that's what DNA does. It has the code that allows the cell to make exactly the right proteins, exactly the same proteins that its parent cell had. And that's an extremely complicated process, which you can only... I can't talk to you about it because it's so complex, <laughs> but there are videos about it. You have to look up protein synthesis or translation or something like that. And you'll see an amazing machinery that's truly unbelievable of these chemicals, transfer RNA and ribosome and all these things are moving around and, and getting amino acids and making protein. And it's astonishing. And it's, we don't know how that developed because that's been the case in life from as far back as we can go. And every cell, every living cell in the planet, on the planet, every living cell we know of in the universe uses the same genetic code to carry the information and uses exactly the same process to make the proteins which allow the cell to replicate itself entirely. So that's the idea. Now, what does this mean in terms of theology, in terms of worldview? Well, I'm not actually sure. I'm still working on that. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that this is a proof of God, but it's a proof of something. <laughs> it's a proof that where we are often treat life as too obviously simple. We we don't think about how amazingly miraculous it is. There's no other way to put it. Am I claiming that this is an example of God did it? You know, as you were saying before, right? That that this is uh, God of the gaps? No, because we'll, we may eventually figure out exactly how this process came together, or we might not. And when we do find that out, it's very possible that one of the things we'll find out is that there are some steps in this process that happened kind of outside of the normal laws of chemistry and physics. We already know that's happened in life. We know, for example, that in evolution, that single cells, uh, at some point, one large cell absorbed another small cell. And that's called uh, symbiogenesis. And it's the origin of what we now call eukaryotes. It's the origin of cells that can use oxygen to get energy. And without that, we would never have had animals because you need a lot of, you need oxygen in order to have animals. 
And, and we don't know how that happened. Uh, it, it doesn't happen very often. It's happened a couple of times, but not very often. So what is that? Is that an actual miracle? Maybe. Is it just a fluke random chance? That it and lucky, luckily, a lucky random chance that happened. I think we're going to find a lot of those when we start looking into the early mechanisms of how this incredible process of life that we have started. We're going to find a lot of those examples. I think I already found one, but that's in a paper that's now being reviewed. So if it if it gets published, it'll be very nice because. What, what I call these things are discontinuities. I didn't make that up. That's what everybody calls it. In other words, you're going along very smoothly in evolution, and all of a sudden there's a big jump, which is not explainable. We don't know where it came from. Is this, I'm not saying God, you know, said, okay, do this. No, I, I, we don't know. But it certainly opens the door for miracles during this process. And I think that that's what we're going to, we're going to end up, I think we're going to end up in, in biology finding scientific evidence for what we now call miracles. But then, of course, we won't call them miracles anymore because they'll be part of science. <laughs> and that's happened in the past many times. What we now think of as, what we now know as quantum mechanics, we would have thought of as a miracle until it, they were proven by experiments. And now we don't think of them as miracles. We think of them as established science. And I think the same thing is going to happen with biology and probably if anywhere, it'll be on this issue of the origin of life and the way that cells can replicate themselves. So I've said a lot. I think I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, you're good. I think you did a great job kind of like framing these, this this argument that you bring up here. Um, a couple of things I'd love to touch up on as we go through sure. this. First, if you could just give like a 30 to 60 second summary of this argument for someone who may be a little bit confused on what's going on. What's just a very short summary of what you just went through? A short summary would be something like this. Uh, life has the unique ability, unique in the, in the universe of being able to self replicate itself with tremendous accuracy. Mm. Nothing else can do that. Not even close. And that is what allows life to exist because if, if, we, if, life, if living forms could not replicate themselves, they would go extinct very quickly. It also allows for evolution, which is one of the reasons that I say when people argue against evolution, I say actually evolution is a strong argument for the creative act of God because it's a, it's a great way to make biological diversity, and it requires, to have evolution, it requires this miraculous ability to self-replicate. Mm. Yeah, so this idea of self-replication is very interesting. So you see in the scientific literature, obviously, you, you know a lot more than I am. You're a, a biochemist. I'm an undergraduate student in the humanities, so completely different fields. Um, <laughs> so, but, so you see no, like, kind of natural explanation for how... Um, this replication can occur um, with well, this amazing I, condition? I, I wouldn't say that because I, I'm sure there is a natural explanation. There always is. But having a natural explanation does not rule out God. This is the atheist mistake. Okay? I mean, you know, if God created the world the way it is with gravity, for example, it doesn't mean that gravity disproves God. It means that God is amazing. He he came up with a force of nature that allows objects to, you know, go with each other. And if we understand 
how gravity works. None of that has anything to say about God. It, God is the creator. Everything flows from him. And the naturalist explanation is just a way of saying, well, now we know how we did it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we're getting there. We're not proving God because a miracle happened, but we're, we are proving God when we look into these naturalist explanations and we see how beautiful they are and how amazing they are. And that's what I'm trying to point out with biology and self-replication. It's, it's an amazing, and usually people just take it for granted. Yeah, you know, my kid looks a lot like me, okay? Or, or that dog gave birth to a dog that looks just like its parent, et cetera, et cetera. And we, don't, and we just say that and we take it for granted because people have known this for, forever. But we should not be taking it for granted because this idea of self-replication is incredibly beautiful and I think is, is, is an amazing testament to the glory of God. I mean, people say, oh, look at the stars, look at the galaxies. I'm not an astronomer. I like galaxies. They're great. I think a single bacterial cell is more impressive than a galaxy. <laughs> and that's probably just my own prejudice because I'm a biologist. But you know, what goes on in a bacterial cell, no galaxy can do. They just, they don't have it. They can't do it. Mm. Yeah, good thought that I want to bring up here is from Rebecca Valerius. She just says that the naturalist explanation is just saying we now know how God did it. Perfect. Um, so I guess you kind of, I guess you kind of follow in line with that kind of idea with this yeah. argument here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... One kind of objection I want to throw at you, it's something you've obviously brought up a little bit before as we've gone through this, but it's the idea of if there is this naturalist explanation for um, this idea of self-replication, why posit God into all this? I know a lot of atheists would be like, well, if there's a natural explanation, then there's no need to put anything involving a, a supernatural or a God involved in this. So what are kind of your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I think the problem there is that, you know, the definition of what is natural and what is supernatural keeps changing. I, I, and I go back to quantum mechanics because it's a good, it's the best example we have, although there are others, there are plenty of others. You know, if, if, if this was 1900 and um, I said to you, you know, I have this idea that in the future um, we're going to be able to have amazing technology where well, we can talk to each other by looking at screens and seeing each other and you could be far away. I don't even know where you are. And, and you know, that's technology, but the technology relies on scientific discoveries in physics. And you probably would have said, well, that's ridiculous. That's a supernatural idea. You know, you maybe telephones, you can talk, but to actually see each other in real time now, that's, that's impossible. Um, and then if I said, well, it's all based on this idea that, uh, you know, that, that electrons are not really particles, they're wave functions, probability functions of where, of where a particle may be, you'd look at me like I was crazy. You'd say, well, you're talking nonsense. You're talking supernatural gobbledygook. But it's all hard science now, okay? Mm -hmm. So today's supernatural or yesterday's supernatural becomes today's natural. Mm -hmm. And, and, the, and the, the border keeps moving as we discover more and more. You got to remember that at one point, biology was not considered science. It was considered metaphysics. Mm. 
because people thought, well, no, we'll never understand biology. It's it's so impossible. It's so complicated. We have no idea. Uh, this chemistry, this physics, and then biology is like you know economics and history or whatever. It's <laughs> it's one of the humanities. Mm -hmm. And now we know a lot of biology. We're, and what we're learning is how much we still don't know. It's vast how much we still don't know. Um, back about 20 years ago, when the Human Genome Project was, was working, everybody thought that humans would have like 100,000 genes because some of the lower animals and lower plants had like 10 or 20,000. Mm -hmm. So humans are so much better and so much more complex, we thought we'd have about 100,000. Everybody believed that. And I, I once asked Francis Collins that, and he agreed. So I, he, even he believed it. And then it, and then the data came in, and we have 20,000 genes. We have less genes than a rice plant. We have less genes than some invertebrates. How could that be? That doesn't make any sense. And the reason is, the genes is only the beginning. It's the way the genes are regulated, which is incredibly complex. And we are learning so many unbelievable things about how genes are regulated and how they're structured and how one gene can code for several proteins. It's mind boggling. Mm. And this is not gonna end. This keeps going on and on. In fact, in my book, I have a chapter called Science Surprises and I talk about the fact that in modern science, whatever you're studying, you're going to be surprised. You're going to get an answer you're not expecting. Hmm. This is happening every day in cosmology. You know, who knew that the universe is expanding <laughs> faster than light or whatever? I mean, I, it's beyond comprehension. Dark matter. What, what is that? Hmm. And it's the same thing in biology. I mean, everything we learn is surprising. Uh, so... Okay, so is where is the strong border between natural and supernatural? I'm, I'm claiming there isn't one, because the more we're learning now, and this started with relativity and quantum mechanics, and never stopped, the more we're learning, the more that that very clear division between, okay, this is natural because there's, a, there's an equation, I can calculate, I get the number, it makes sense, I can understand it because I can see it, and I can do experiment, that's gone. Now things don't make sense. Nobody thinks quantum mechanics makes sense. It's, it, it's rational defying. We can do equations. We know it's real. We know there's science there. We do experiments, not we, not me, but you know, physicists. So we know it's real, but it doesn't make any sense. So this whole boundary between supernatural and natural is, is false. It's very fluid. And so what I, I would predict that as time goes on, we're going to find scientific evidence for things that we now think of as supernatural. And that might include who knows what. It might include God. It might include angels. I, I have no idea. You know, I can't speculate mm -hmm. on that. So it doesn't bother me. I, I don't like to make that distinction. I mean, the theological idea of God, the idea of God's love, of, of everything we learn in the Bible about Jesus and God, that's not part of science. We're not going to get scientific confirmation of that, okay? Because that's theological, that's emotional, that's human, that's, you know, just like scientism fails to describe science and it fails to describe God, 
it fails to describe almost everything. If you can't use scientism to describe art or, you know, why I like one, some kind of music and not another, or why a certain painting is exciting and another one isn't, that's why do we have love? Why do we have emotions? Where does that come from? And, you know, there are attempts to make, oh, this is all science. It comes from evolution. But those are so weak. They're scientifically very weak. So, you know, I, I think that whole pattern of saying everything can be understood by the scientific method and only the scientific method, that's one of the big, big, big lies of our age. It's just simply not true. Mm -hmm. So one last question, and I'll ask you before we'll go to some Q&A. So if you guys have questions, you can ask questions. We'll hit a few um, as we head out. Um, but with this argument and this idea of self-replication, I'm guessing that what you're seeing is in this argument, you're seeing kind of like the, the intelligence and the the beauty of our creator. Is that kind of what you're getting from the yes. conclusion of this argument? I think that's well put. Thank you. I, I, I think, but you said it very well. I, I think that the more we learn about our world, the more we're learning about not just the creation, but the creator, because, uh, and, and I think the more we're, we're having to come to the conclusion that this is not chance. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's too much for chance. It's just, mm -hmm. there is a place for chance and randomness in, in the world, in science in in how biology works, how physics works, but it can't all be chance. It's too, it's just too crazy. It, it's like the fine-tuning argument. You know, you could explain one constant being just right, but, you know, 10 of them, 12 of them, I don't know how many there are, and being so perfectly balanced, it's chance can't come into it. And everybody agrees with that. The only mm -hmm. atheist argument about fine-tuning is that it comes from a multiverse, but they can't deny that the probability is zero. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'd like to make a similar claim for biology, that the probability of life coming about the way it has, and I'm not saying this is true for all life, but it's certainly true for us, <laughs> for large animals with brains who can think and look at the universe, that happening entirely by chance. Now, even with accepting evolution, which is a very strong, very powerful force, there's so much random chance things that had to happen even for evolution to get started i i don't buy it mm. so i there's something else and uh you said an intelligent designer or a uh, i would like to say you know i don't like in my book i say i don't like intelligent design i like divine design because mm. it's way beyond intelligent mm. yeah, okay the, the everything we know that exists especially life we can't make a rabbit. We can't. We can't design, you know, uh, anything. Anything that's alive. We can't design a lion or even a bacterium. Mm. So God can design that, but we can't. So, and we're intelligent, mm. so to speak. Some of us. I don't know. Um, and we can't do that. So I don't like to say intelligent design. I like to say this is divine design. This is design from God, and therefore you're right. It tells us about God. God is amazing i mean you know we we say praise god from whom all blessings flow but we don't know the half of it i mean it's you know we have to do a lot more praising than than that because it's amazing
Yeah, I wish I kind of had your brain right now so I could just understand <laughs> everything you do about biochemistry because it really does seem amazing. And I, as a layman, can only scratch the surface of everything that's going on um, in biochemistry. There are there are some, yeah, I'm sorry. There there are some videos that are okay. Uh, they're not none of them are perfect. Um, where do I have? Oh yeah, in the article that's coming out next month, I have a link to one video that has four different videos about the protein synthesis system. And that will be helpful because you're right. It's very hard to imagine just by my talking how incredible this process is. But if you spend enough time online, you, you'll find some, some good stuff. Not mm -hmm. all of it is great. Yeah. Uh, one more question here that I just thought of before we go to Q&A. Sorry, everyone mm -hmm. who has questions. Um, sure. Would you expect this kind of complexity in life and things like this if there was no God? Like, do you think that it's possible that if all we have is the natural laws of, as play, that we could have this such diverse life, um, complicated life, people like you and me? No, I, I don't think there'd be a universe if there was no God. I don't think there'd be anything. This goes back to the question of why is there something rather than nothing? And mm -hmm. there's no answer for that other than God created something. So um, I don't think there'd be anything. Uh, if somehow or other there's a universe that exists, and we could look at the rest of the universe. I, I'm one of those people who doesn't think there are aliens everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think there may be some places where there is enough water and there may be there may be some kind of life. I don't know. I mean you'd have to have you'd have to have all these complex <laughs> chemical reactions going on. I mean, what I what really drives me nuts as a biochemist is when people say well, life started with a lot of chemicals and they all got together and a lot of things happened and boom, life. No, no. <laughs> Sorry. You got to learn a little more. That, that, that's so unlikely. Um, the people who are actually doing, and I know a few of them who are, who are actually doing real uh, basic scientific research into the origin of life are looking, are struggling with every step, you know, maybe how does RNA self-replicate itself to avoid annealing? Okay, that's a huge field of research, okay? It's, and every, single, every other single thing is a huge field of research, and none of it is going to give us the actual answer. They're going to give us little pieces of the answer. There's many, many answers. So, you know, I, I get very impatient when people say, you know, chemicals got more and more complex, and then they became life. Uh, mm, nah. I don't believe it, but I may be wrong. And so there could be life on other planets, but I, I kind of skeptical. And if there is, I doubt very much that there are intelligent beings because that requires a whole nother set. Once you have bacteria to get us, you need a whole nother set of, again, miraculous or highly non-random events that have to occur to get even an animal, even a, mm. you know, even an insect. And then there's us with our brains, and that's a, that. so it, it it doesn't end. I mean, it's to me, I, I I don't see any problem with you know basically worshiping God because of the creation that I just see all around me. That's mm. enough. Mm. Lots of good stuff here. Um, we'll hit a couple questions on the way out. Um, 
first question is from Slam RN that says, um, you kind of obviously just touched on this, but if you have any additional thoughts, comment on the frantic search for extraterrestrial life, which means scientists think that they might be able to detect if a signal received is intelligent and yet deny that DNA requires intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Susan. How are you doing? Uh, I, I agree. That's, that's kind of weird. Uh, by the way, um, the story of DNA, I, I have a video on my channel, just put it up a few days ago. My channel is called Faithful Science, S-Y-E-N-C-E. And on that channel, I have a video uh, responding to this very common atheist meme now that DNA is not information, it's not a language, it's not a code. And I found a video from Rationality Rules, very well-known atheist from 2017, where he makes that argument. And the problem is he just got the science wrong. He doesn't know the biology. And he got completely confused as to what the genetic code is. So anyway, I had to make a response video. And, and she's right. Uh, this idea now that's very popular among atheists, because they're basically denying science in order to push their agenda. And by saying that DNA is not a code, they're going against every textbook, every published paper that deals with DNA. I mean, there's no biologist who agrees with them. Richard Dawkins doesn't agree with them. I mean, this is a crazy idea. And, um, and so, yet they're saying it, and at the same time, <laughs> they're looking for life everywhere in the universe. They think that, you know, aliens are running around because, again, <laughs> it goes with their agenda of denying the Imago Dei of denying the that you know that humans have a special uh, um, have anything special about them. There must be you know much smarter aliens around everywhere, and we're not that big a deal. So uh, yeah, it's that's one of many atheist self contradictions that, if you really listen to their arguments, become quite obvious. Mm. Uh, another question here from Nature G2, um, which I think is going to the idea of can life originate in other different places uh, with different elements. It says, do we need oxygen to have animals or do we need oxygen, oxygen to have animals as we know them? Yeah, that's a good question because that comes up a lot. We only know one kind of life. So the question is, could we have a kind of you know animal life, large animal life, if there were no oxygen, because originally in this earth, in the earth, there was no oxygen. Uh, by oxygen, I mean O2, molecular oxygen, uh, you know, by molecular oxygen, not the oxygen, the atom, which is in, in water and everywhere else. This, that's plentiful. But O2, the gas, is very rare. In fact, it's one of the signals, going back to uh, Susan's question, that's one of the signals for ET. They look for molecular oxygen uh, to see if there's life. Because molecular oxygen is a byproduct of a very specific, really weird form of bacteria that existed uh, about two billion, well, yeah, about two billion years ago, uh, cyanobacteria that, uh, that used photosynthesis and put out oxygen. Now, the thing about oxygen is it's extremely toxic. It killed almost every other life form. And life recovered and began not only to live with oxygen, but to use it as an energy source. And that's the key, because oxygen is an incredibly good energy source, much better than what life was using previously, um, which were various, you know, 
I can't remember now, but um, other other materials, including just heat, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, there's one theory that life began in these hot vents in the oceans, and that was the energy source. But oxygen is an extremely efficient source of chemical energy, and that's required to have large animals, all of which need oxygen, even the fish, right? So... Uh, and it's especially required for brains. I mean, uh, brains use more oxygen than any other organ. So if you're going to have, if you're going to have, there's no other chemical. In other words, this is a rule of chemistry. We believe, perhaps as a matter of faith, that the periodic table is the same everywhere in the universe. The same elements, the same molecules have the same properties. And if that is true, and it's the assumption we make, then uh, it's going to be true everywhere. So that wherever, that's, that's why people sometimes say, well, you can have life without water. Yeah, but I, that's science fiction life. That's not any kind of a life that we could possibly understand how it could be. So, you know, science fiction wise, you can imagine life that's just waves of energy or, and, and you know, that might be true. I mean, there may be some very extremely advanced life form that is just a wave of energy. I don't know. But, you know, then you can say anything. Uh, getting back to the question, yeah, it, it's it's both. We need oxygen to have animals as we know them, but we can't think of any kind of a complex, large life form, like an animal, which moves and which requires a huge amount of energy that could get its source of that energy from anything other than molecular oxygen. Mm. Uh, a couple more questions before we head out of here. One from Jonathan DePew. Uh, he says, how do you hope hold the definitive revelation of God and Jesus Christ, who is our clearest truth criteria in relation to your claims about discerning God through nature slash biology. Whoa. Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> He's going after you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I, I don't see a conflict there. I mean, when I talk about God, see my claims about God through nature and biology is simply that, uh, I see God as the creator, okay? And that's, and the, being a creator is is the same as, uh, I mean, that, that's the, the basic, to me, the, the fundamental foundation of what God is. Uh, he's the creator of everything, heaven and earth. Uh, that's, that comes first and last. Now, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is a, is a, is a different story. It's not related to God's creation of heaven and earth. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's Jesus Christ, God coming to earth for a purpose, which was to come in the form of a man and to change the world, to transform the world. Okay. To, to, uh, to tell us what we need to do as human beings in order to bring the kingdom of God, in order to, you know, to, to be, sa be saved in order to find salvation. Uh, so I don't see a conflict there because, you know, one thing is, one thing is just a claim about God being the creator and we can learn about his creation through nature and biology and science. And the other part is, you know, that God didn't just create the universe, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he also gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us his son uh, to, to show us the way, to lead us. 
And I, I don't see those things. Those are two aspects of, of God's blessings to, to his, his creatures, to, his, to us. All right. Well, we have one more question here. This will be our last question um, from Susan again. She says, how much more difficult do you think it will be for life to begin before any biological terraforming occurred on early Earth? Ah, that's really hard to say because and I find this very strange. Um, we don't know the date <laughs> at which life began, but it keeps getting pushed back further and further back. I mean, I remember when it was considered three billion years ago. Now, if you assume the Earth is four and a half billion years old, uh, that's, you know, that, that allows a lot of time for life to start, but that's way out of date. We now have evidence of life about three and a half billion, and then it became 3.8 billion. And now there's evidence, it's not direct evidence of life, but of structures I forgot the name, it'll come to me, but structures that are produced by life that are 4.2 billion years old. And that's incredibly early. That may still be during the bombardment, the, the Hadean bombardment. So, or maybe life had just cooled, you know, just barely enough, and boom, we had life. So, yeah, I, I would find it very difficult for life to begin easily. Uh, on the early earth <clears throat> um <clears throat> i see now you're asking something else you're saying before biological terraforming occurred yeah well the, the, that's right so the biological terraforming was a lot there was a lot of things that life did it didn't do that much on land because it took a while for life to get onto land but it certainly transformed the atmosphere and that's what i was saying before about oxygen uh, these cyanobacteria were releasing a huge amount of oxygen into the atmosphere. That went on for hundreds of millions of years. And that was changing the atmosphere and also changing rocks and, and lots of things. Um, could life have begun before that terraforming? Probably it could. But, you know, that's until we know when it started, we don't even know how to how to replicate or how to come up with the same environment that life had when it began. We don't know whether it was a totally reducing atmosphere, whether it was very, very hot. Uh, you know, who knows? We don't know where the ocean, if there are oceans yet. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a mystery. And I, I find that one of the things that just, you know, it's just one of those huge surprises that we keep going further and further back in time uh, for evidence of the origin of life. And so who knows what, what we'll find out eventually. It's a good question. It doesn't have an easy answer. Lots of great stuff, Sai. I really appreciate the time. Um, really interesting argument that you bring up here. Lots of good stuff. Do you have any kind of like closing thoughts, stuff that you want to bring up before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I would just say that, as I said before, this is sort of new. I've never talked about this before. Uh, I'm kind of listening to myself as I talk <laughs> to see how it sounds. Uh, it sounds okay. I mean, I, I I think I have a lot more work to do. Mm -hmm. I did mention that I have a peer-reviewed scientific paper related to the origin of life and related to the fidelity, the, the accuracy of, of replication that is now in the process of review. It's gone through the first round of review and it it may be accepted fairly soon, in which case... 
I will certainly be making a big deal about that because it has some very striking conclusions about how the origin of life might have happened. But I can't say more about it now because it's not accepted yet. But this is not a, 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 an article in a magazine or even a, in a Christian journal. It's an article in a regular peer-reviewed scientific journal. So uh, when atheists say to me, well, where's your evidence? <laughs> I'd be able to take it out and say, here it is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I love that question. Where's your evidence? <laughs> All right. Won't get into that now. <laughs> Maybe another time, you know. Another time, yeah. Well, Sai, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Lots of really interesting stuff you bring up. I encourage everyone to go follow Sai. There should be links to his Twitter and his website and his book um, in the description. You can also go to Faithful Science, S-Y-E-N-C-E on YouTube to subscribe to Sai on YouTube. Uh, Sai, thank you for the time again. Really appreciate the conversation. Um, yeah, thank you. Okay. Nice. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. Thanks for, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. God bless.